Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Floodman11, and tonight, or today, we are talking about the LMP classes at this year's 24 Hours of Le Mans. We're going to do our class preview podcast like we do every single year, uh, and we've got another one coming up for GT as well, just around the corner. But before we get into that... I would just like to say a very big thank you to everyone who's downloaded our episodes over the past year and a half-ish on our host at Podbean. We have just hit a cumulative 10,000 downloads uh, for our episodes on Podbean in the last year and a half. So, first of all, very much thank you to everyone who's listened, and thank you to everyone who's been involved, including my two very special guests tonight, uh, Cookie Monster FL and Ollie. I don't even know what we call you anymore. Trevorosaurus, Ollie T, Ollie, we'll just call you Ollie. Hey, good evening, guys. Good day. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> yes, uh, yearly look at the LMP, LMP classes at Le Mans. Uh, we're going to be looking at every single car, every single uh, driver and chassis and dr- uh, driver lineup, tires, etc., what have you, and... Uh, in each of the prototype classes, and so we'll kick it off with the LMP1 cars, and I would like Cookie to tell us where these cars come from. Ooh, they Ooh. come from. All right. So this is essentially a well. Uh, it's it has been uh, several times over redone and kind of revised, but these regulations have been out since probably about the 1999, 2000, when they were rolled over from LMP 900. Uh, and pretty much put into more of an LMP1 role where it, uh, before you'd have LMP900, LMP675, and I believe were those cubic meters for the engine. Display. That sounds about right. I, wait. I think so. Wait. Okay. But uh, maybe. I'm, or wait. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so essentially they would almost compete uh, sort of side by side for overall status. LMP1 essentially put everybody together, and that also included. Um, what we now know as EOT, um, that really set the standard for what first was diesel-powered and the alternate energy diesel power kind of provided as an ICE, and then it shifted into hybrid power. So realistically, it's a uh, upgraded version of what you remember the GT1 era being or the those Audi R8s. It's just a upgraded version of that, which now requires a closed cockpit. But it also now was heavily emphasized to promote alternate ICEs and different kinds of alternate tech for power, um, which now they do with hybrid. So it's just, it is a a blindingly quick uh, four-wheel drive prototype. Um, It is not based on any uh, manufacturer car model or anything like that, but uh, it is heavily focused by OEMs to promote uh, technology, whether that is indeed an ICE aero or any, anything else, suspension, that kind of thing. Um, And it is what I would consider the pinnacle of sports car racing and only really has a rival in Formula One uh, for more advanced and expensive technology. So, I, Very well summed up. I, you hit all the points that I really wanted to be mentioned. It is, yeah, easily Bam. the pinnacle of sports cars. It's the absolute limits of efficiency and uh, and performance. And the way I like to call it, it's, it's a living test lab, a living development lab for mm-hmm. uh, for manufacturers to build and develop these alternate energies that we're getting to now in terms of hybrid energy well done cookie i'm very impressed ah yeah nice. all right i started off well well done okay let's crack on we'll, we'll head straight into the the driver lineup uh analysis then um in lmp1 at the moment we have four different teams running 
three different chassis. Yes, four Correct. four different chassis. Four, four, four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by colors. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, we we forgot by colors already. Um, so of course we've got the factory Toyota team, which are in a, running in their own separate subclass. Uh, as the only OEM, so the only original equipment manufacturers. Uh running the hybrid um so they're carrying over their driver lineups from last season uh so number seven features mike conway kamu kobayashi jose maria lopez and the number eight car the car that won le mans last year features sebastian boemi kaz nakajima and fernando alonso uh anything that we want to especially say about any of those drivers before we start talking about how mad that toyota is uh <laughs> no i i think the, I think the maybe the only notable thing is that the driver lineup in LMP1 for Toyota is the least talked about thing or almost the least factor for me. Yes, they have an advantage in terms of drivers, but everything else about that team and that car is so much more head and, and shoulders above the rest of their competitors in that class that the drivers, to me, are the least amount that influence whether or not Toyota ultimately win. Now, granted... Hmm. I think it helps having Fernando Alonso in the wheel. Can we all not agree <laughs> on that? Uh, but, you know, swap out any of the Rebellion, maybe even S&P drivers, I, I don't think that there's a question that any of those jumping in that Toyota don't don't easily win the, win the race, in my opinion. But no, I, I don't know. That's, that's just me. Pretty fair statement. Um, of those six drivers, only one of them does not have past Formula 1 experience, and that driver is Jose Maria Lopez, who's a uh, world touring car champion champion yep so accomplished yeah and he's had a few seasons now at the seat of the toyota so they're definitely very accomplished drivers very used to coming through the field and dealing with traffic uh but on as you put it cookie the thing is the car is just technologically better than anything else in that class wouldn't you agree ollie definitely yeah the it's especially during racing conditions um, we will see during qualifying the times be pretty close, just like we have seen every previous round, uh, especially Shanghai, I think it was, where it was super close. Yeah. Um, and we've we'll come onto it later, looking diving, doing more of a deep dive into numbers. Certain sectors were faster for privateers, but when the trickle or falls, and we do have lots of traffic after the first few laps then it will start breaking down to be a bit more leaning towards the Toyotas. But um, as I do every year watching Truth in 24, <laughs> it's good a good reminder that the Peugeots were three seconds a lap faster. And there's a really great shot from the uh, top above the pit lane showing lap after lap, the gap growing. And after three laps, you know, 10 seconds is massive gap. And that kind of resembles what I remember from Spa, for example, if there was ever a safety car restart and the Toyotas would just zoom off into the distance off, off a restart. It's that kind of significant gap that they build straight away. But hopefully you never know, it might come back. And what happened at the end of that race? The Peugeots did not win. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you meant you meant to put the spoiler before the spoiler alert before the spoiler. 
No, but yeah. you make you make a very good point. Uh, the onus is on Toyota to be the the team to beat and to be the cars that make it to the finish and to to win the race. And I would say that there's a not insignificant amount of pressure on them to do that. Because can you imagine the the fallout if they got you know with a much more technologically advanced car and an additional year of development and the best drivers in the world, well, the best drivers in sports cars at the seat of these cars. And they lost this race after trying so hard to win it for so long and then to, to be in the best position possible and to still lose to a bunch of privateers. Can you imagine the fallout from that, from from the boardroom, from the investors, from the fans? I it think be- their only fallback from that is, is you know, they, they've been comparing, we've been comparing them against like the ghost of Porsche kind of thing. Yeah. You know, if you compared a Porsche, if they stayed in it now would Toyota still be faster? Would they still be winning kind of thing? And they are still really, really, really pushing these cars. So, you know, one fallback is, yes, sure, they're more complex, they might still break, but they weren't holding back and they still broke. That is is what we want to see. We want to still, still see this marvel of technology and engineering being pushed to the limit. If they were holding back and broke down, then they would be a laughing stock like again. 2017 right and i so i right well well i'm i'm ignoring all of that again the 2016 2017 never happened but i <laughs> i love to make examples and this one fits appropriately too um as much as we understand and, and they do push i mean they're 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 lapping faster they're they're going faster than they did when they raced against porsche but Difference for me is they can be the fastest, but there's not that meter stick to show how, just how fast they are. So yeah, the ghost of Porsche will always exi- exist because there is no other competition. My example would be the world record breaking for 100 meter races. Usain Bolt is clearly the fastest, and he can, he could maybe have gone faster. He's probably peaked and passed his prime. So we'll never know what the fastest time Usain Bolt could have set at an Olympic record because every single time he got to the that point where he knew he was going to win. He backed off. Mm. So, I, I mean, that's that's a personality trait, right? That's not necessarily what a team would do in, in the in the throes of competition. But there's that natural aspect, that human element of preserve what you got when you're in the lead and you know that you have an advantage. You know, you want to keep and maintain that advantage. That's always yeah. in the competitive mindset. So, as much as they will push, there is an aspect of not pushing to secure the victory. You know, yeah. uh, it's and- there is that aspect to it. And and there's no close rival to then compare that to say, look, they're doing this much better than this team that we already know is quality. I think one of the, the, the better things about the 2017 season for Prototype was seeing Porsche versus Toyota, a head-to-head fight, and being able to see how much they were pushing each other in that year. And you can't get that anymore. We commented last year once Toyota finally got that Le Mans, it was we a few people called it hollow for a few people called it you know not necessarily deserving it's because they didn't really have competition and that was that was the reality of that entry and that's possibly what we're going to see this year hopefully not hopefully it's a little closer but let's turn and look to uh Toyota's closest competitors um the two uh, next group, or the two next com- most competitive teams are uh, from Rebellion Racing and S&P. We'll look at the Rebellion Racing cars first. Uh, they are running the Rebellion R13 Gibson, a 
LMP1 evolution of the Orica 07 chassis. Uh, and car one features former Audi LMP1 driver Andre Lotto, former Porsche LMP1 driver Neil Jani, and uh, I think Bruno Senna, who has won in every class in WEC except for LMP1. I think he's won in... GTE Pro in an Aston, GTE Am in an Aston, and in LMP2 at the seat of a Rebellion, funnily enough. Um, and then the number three car is kind of the young gun car for Rebellion. Uh, that features Thomas Laurent, Nathaniel Berton, and Gustavo Menezes. Now, the number three car has taken a victory this season. However, that was after the exclusion of both Toyotas at the six hours of Silverstone. Um, the number one car, which should clearly be the more experienced, better car, better skilled car, uh, has not really had the rub of the green this season. So they are the Rebellion Challengers. Uh, what do we think of the Rebellions heading into Le Mans? I think they're on the front foot. They've got some new updates that they've brought to the car, not only in aesthetics or aerodynamics, but they've also got a significant power upgrade around 20-25 horsepower up to their Gibson V8 which is only or exclusively to them not to the other Gibson cars of Bicolors and Dragon Speed yeah that's a that's a big step up uh hopefully the aero kit is is working well for them during the race and yeah they've got the the drivers up for it it's just they just need to do it yep so these these guys are actually debuting a brand new aero kit for Le Mans this year. As our resident aerodynamic expert, Ollie, uh, what <laughs> what are the changes that they've made compared to their normal car, which would probably do them a bit better on the long straights of the Mulsanne? So it's quite a it looks quite significant the change, but actually it's pretty simple. They've basically the these cars have got removable single piece front ends. Yep. Um, nice and quick for, for pit, pit lane changes. And they've managed to design it such that all the surfaces match to the main chassis that isn't actually part of the tub. So bits that they could have changed uh, if they wanted to. Um, but this makes it nice and economical so they don't have to make new parts um, other than the one that they've changed. And uh, the splitter underneath is mainly the same part as well. There might be little vortex generators and things underneath but we can't see that and they've basically just stretched the headlamp area forward upstream and uh, brought that apex of curvature let's call it to keep it simple inwards slightly playing around with where the stagnation point i think would be and hopefully a bit more finding a bit more top speed the dive planes are pretty similar to last year the only main change really is um, brake cooling inlet um, I really, really, really liked the previous design that had a modular kind of setup where they could just swap out a little plastic, maybe 3D printed part and change the the share of air going yep. into the brake duct just with one screw, two screws. But now they've gone to just a simple hole uh, and cover it up with tape like the old, old, old school, good old days kind yeah. of thing. Cool. It actually looks uh, a bit reminiscent of the changes to the old Porsche 919, uh, the way that they kind of, yeah, brought the headlights more forward and then actually uh, kind of sculpted them out a bit to, uh, yeah, reduce that trailing edge on the on the top half of it. Of course, with the, the big honking holes in the top of the wheels, you don't really want a lot of air going over the top because that's just a lot of wasted air. 
Now, with the uh, one thing that has changed on the Rebellions uh, this year compared to last year is that they've done away with the old red and black zebra print livery that they've got. They've actually uh, created an art car style livery for this race. They've gone black and white base colors with uh, pink, yellow, green, a variety of very brightly colored splashes over everything. It looks kind of nuts. So that'll be very easy to see uh, throughout the night. And yeah, it's it's certainly something, certainly visible, don't you think? <laughs> Hopefully it'll be like the uh, Labra art car oh, yes. in GTM, getting a little fluorescent in the pit lane. Uh, I think I remember correctly the, the Labra pits. They put up some black lights kind of thing above their pit lane, above their pit box. So then yep. when it came into the box, it would then, you know, go a bit radioactive. So hopefully uh, Rebellion does the same. Yeah, that would be very, very cool. Uh, it's kind of like a paint scheme hidden in a paint scheme then. Uh, Kogi, what are your thoughts on the Rebellion's chances at being the lead privateer or even taking it to the Toyotas? Uh, well, I mean, so looking at some of the testing day times, I mean, yes, there the excuses that Rebellion, I wouldn't say excuses, but just the teething issues that Rebellion said that they had, especially with the temperatures and the new light and the, just the new rollout of the aero kit. Yes, I, I definitely think that there's more speed in there. Now, if SMP's top speed is true and that is what we're going to see out of SMP, that is an exceptionally fast uh, speed trap time for me. And I feel like if their strategy, if S&P strategy was last year, let's go real, real, real fast to the straights, it seems like they even sold that out more this year. So I I, I like low uh, low uh, downforce aero kits at Le Mans. So I kind of am leaning towards S&P this year being faster than the Rebellions and Rebellions just not figuring out their new aero kit. But I don't know anything uh, about anything. So <laughs> <laughs> following up Ali's uh, actual intelligent uh, observations of this, I don't know if uh, I, you could take mine too well. But <laughs> Well, on the other hand, they set the fastest time in the Porsche curves during the test day, uh, both cars ahead of the Toyotas. Wow. Um, by not that much of a margin, but this takes into account the whole of the Porsche curves. Um, so long high duration sweepers coming in from the the, the fast straight uh, leading into it. And uh, also um, sector one, the rebellion was uh, 0.4 seconds up on Toyota as the best sector one time of the test day. Wow, that's actually a not insignificant margin. That's I'm actually really surprised that it was that large. So Rebellion's definitely going to be good in the high downforce section, it looks like. And I feel like that was very similar to last year as well. Yeah, yeah. Last year, their, their um, Le Mans Aero was basically identical to the LMP2 one, which is basically identical to the high downforce kit uh, in terms of overall shape. Cool. Um, so... Pretty positive signs coming out of Rebellion. Uh, we'll look at the their direct competition, I would say, in the privateer category in LMP1. Uh, S&P racing cars are running the BR Engineering BR1, uh, which is proprietary built for S&P, essentially, uh, and sold on to a customer team as well. Uh, they're running that with the AER turbocharged engine. I think that's the only turbocharged engine in the P1 category, uh, which isn't hybridized as well. 
so they've got the two cars this year. Uh, number 11 is Vitaly Petrov, Mikhail Alation, and Stoffel Vandorn uh, jumping in the seat, uh, replacing Jensen Button in that car. And the 17 is Stefan Sarazan, Igor Aruzev, and Sergei Shirotkin. Now, these guys were also very strong at the test. They split the two rebellions, I think. One, then 11, then three, then 17. So they kind of went uh, one by one uh, throughout the, the test day. And the battle in the privateer class has been between the SMP cars and the rebellion racing cars for the season. Now, the SMP cars seems to be a little better in the straights, uh, setting the fastest Sector 2 time overall at the test day. And Sector 2 was basically the Mulsanne straight and heading to Arnage. So a lot of straight lines. So there's definitely uh, a speed advantage to the S&P racing cars. So how do you think that will play out over 24 hours uh, in terms of whether or not the S&P cars can get the better of the rebellions? I'd like to see, I'd like to see at the start of the race a, a mo- some moves being done by S&P um, into the first chicane on the Mulsanne. I'd like to see them have a look because they do have 10 kilometers an hour up mm. on Rebellion, the next best. You know, both they were going two by two, pretty similar for for their best uh, top speeds measured. The the ARs giving some really significant power too. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see it. We'll talk cookie and cookie. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I, I think that the the we haven't really seen a whole lot of yin yang like this in a, in a long time. I, I think that uh, with uh, with the adage of um, new OEMs that are spending hundreds of millions of, of euros essentially a year on these programs, that they've they've data mined enough that they know okay, aero kits five five degrees is better than seven degrees. Blah blah. Let's not even worry about what we want for top speed. S&P and Rebellion seem to be doing this thing where it's like, well, here's how we think well, Le Mans is best run at. Let's do it at, a, at, let's try to get max speed on down Mulsanne, whereas Rebellion seem to be, okay, we need more downforce or we need less downforce during the straights and try to keep that downforce high during the corners. So they're tackling the, the problem almost in a different way or trying to tackle different things first. And you know what I mean? And essentially yeah. to get the best Le Mans time. So I think it's refreshing just because we don't that this is not seen this is usually figured out in testing i would almost think out right or that this is figured out we'll redesign it redesign re- redesign by oems but you don't have that here so i think that that's really going to be curious again i'm i'm nodding to smp i also we'll agree i'm i reckon smp are the better shout for this event however their luck the luck hasn't been really with them it's been mostly with the number 3 uh rebellion team in fact i don't think that the uh SMP guys have taken a podium besides the uh, Silverstone race f- all season. Is that correct? Yeah, they got the, the one at Spa. Okay. Um, and then uh, were they on the podium after the relegation of Toyota at Silverstone? Yeah. Probably. Probably. I'll just yeah. double check that now. Yes, so they did get a po- Yeah, they got a podium at Silverstone after the relegation of the Toyotas. Uh, not not on the day, but yeah. retrospectively. And or, well, Shanghai. Shanghai and Sebring, actually. So, okay, I lied. They got a bunch of podiums. I don't know what I'm talking about, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, I have I have some concerns of um, these SMP BR1s. Looking at the, the ideal laps, which takes the, the best sectors and adds them together, the SMP was really much quicker than the Rebellions. 
over a second faster than what the three could theoretically do. Mm. But that said, they didn't string these best sectors together in a single lap. So the best lap totally done were done by the rebellions. rebellions yep. So the the gaps to the, the the ideal lap to the the like theoretical best lap to the actual set best lap was around one and a half seconds. So, you know, could there be a bit of a, a knife edge issue here with the, the SMP that sure, if you get it just hooked up, it will be faster. But if you don't, then, you know, it's difficult to reach that optimum performance. So I'm, I'm also concerned about that, that over this 24 hours, can they replicate the pace yeah. that the, the rebellion might be able to do more easily or more readily, let's say. Yeah, that's actually a really good shout. I was watching the times at the very end of test day, and it was the number one rebellion at the uh, with Lotter at the wheel that set set the timing screens alight by putting in that personal best in every sector late in the session to put in that uh, one twenty, uh, sorry, three twenty one three, which ended up being the best privateer time of the session. But I was looking at it and trying to compare it to the sectors that the SMPs were doing. And yeah, as you said, the SMPs sectors overall were much, much faster, especially in the back half of the lap. So yeah, it's the SMPs should theoretically have a better one lap pace. It was actually SMP, the number 11 car was capable of doing a lap that was around what the number seven ended up finishing up with, with a 320.2. The S&P's theoretical best was about a 320.5. So the pace is definitely there. But yeah, as you said, I wonder how much of a knife edge it is to get to that point. And as you mentioned, it's a 24-hour event and getting getting consistently into those lower lap times is going to be what brings you the rewards over a 24-hour event, not that one lap pace. That one lap pace and might be also, very, very pretty for one lap, but yeah, you got to keep going. Yeah, and it's also a, a game about managing traffic mm. that is, you know, not really commented that much on uh, on, on test day because we're talking about peak times and stuff like that. And you know, when you're talking about passing traffic, do you go for peak one lap pace or do you go for race pace? And if you're talking about peak one lap pace, do you go for the more slippery S and P? But then down in the braking zones and whatever where you need the downforce to give you that grip to brake later and harder do you sacrifice that for top speed or or more aero efficiency or whatever or do you go for more downforce so you can go around the outside of corners and stuff like that when there might be a bit lower grip or where if you went for a super slippery setup you're just tiptoeing around and then you wait but then the trouble is with these cars the power isn't that much greater than LMP2s and there's going to be a lot of waiting. So mm. if they can get through the traffic faster, maybe with a bit more downforce like the Rebellions, then um, they might have an edge there. You know, we, we talked about just earlier about the Porsche Curves time. The the Rebellion shows it, has, it can go through high G corners quickly. Therefore, it, you'd think they could maybe be more readily going for uh, a two two side by side move through a corner with a a P two or whatever to get round, whereas the S and P might wait. Yeah, exactly right. And that's and traffic management is also always a very big thing at Le Mans. And yeah, especially with how close the LMP two cars are in that first sector, 
we might see one or two instances where the SMPs especially get kind of stuck behind an LMP2 in the first sector before being able to blast pie in the straights, whereas a rebellion might run out of gas trying to get past an LMP2 at the end of a straight and then have to sit behind a section like Indian Arnage or in one of the Sukanes, which could hamper their lap time in a different way. It's a very interesting discussion. We'll move on now to the rest of the LMP1 class. Uh, there's two more cars in this class this year. Uh, we've got the number 10 Dragon Speed, which is also running a BR1, uh, sorry, BR Engineering BR1, so the same chassis as the SMP Racing Team. But they are running the Gibson engine, um, which is not the same Gibson engine as the Rebellion. Yeah, so it's the an, an older spec okay. kind of thing. So it doesn't have certain updates that have recently yeah. come in for Le Mans. Yeah. And so in this car is the money man behind the team, Henrik Hedman, who's the only bronze rated LMP1 driver ever. Uh, and then his pro drivers that he brings in are Ben Hanley and Renga van der Zander. So do we accept, expect that much from the Dragon Speed car in all honesty? Um, I hope they finish. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair <laughs> shout. They didn't last year. They had an accident in the Porsche curves, which totaled the car and cracked the gearbox casing. So they couldn't keep going after that. But they they do bring a bit of color to the class, I'll say. With a white car. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, the other cars are all very big block colors, like the Rebellions. Well, the Rebellions are going to be friggin' kaleidoscopes this year. Toyota are the FIA-approved red, black, and white. SMP is blue and red, so a, a nice white base color with the the Dragon Speed blue stripes and Beautiful. stars. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll it'll stand out nice nicely just for just being nice. Um, and the final car in LMP1 this year for Le Mans is the number four Bicolors Enzo CLMP1, this time powered by a Gibson engine instead of the Nismo engine of last year. And the drivers are Tom Dillman, Oliver Webb, and Paolo Roberti at the seat of the Bicolors car. So do we want to make comments about Bicolors, really? Well, they're, they're heavily compromised. Um, <laughs> That's putting lately. it nicely. I mean... They're going to be hoping for a dry race, 100%. Their pace falls off uh, when as soon as water starts dropping onto the track. Their their gearbox solution is suboptimal, to say the least. Uh, imagine driving your car and you're only allowed to change gear if you're at 100% throttle or 0% throttle. Uh, they have this problem. Not really ideal at the seat of one of the fastest prototype racing cars that you can you know build so hopefully that new gibson engine at the seat of the uh the bicolors power plant uh works a bit better than the old nismo um which was beginning to show its age i think uh and that kind of rounds out the lmp1 class now normally cookie would have a lot more to say but he's dealing with some computer troubles we are all dealing with computer troubles here on endurance chat more than you can expect but we should just give a brief overview of the equivalence of technology formula and how that works because the another three-letter acronym that we get you know has added into the mix eot has become a bit of a talking point this season and we've made mention of it quite a bit uh in our normal coverage but what has the EOT been able to achieve for this year's event? Are we expecting a direct fight between the privateers and Toyota, or is it still going to be a 
more if if Toyota have problems, that's when we're going to see uh, the privateers come to the fore sort of race. Yeah, I I I get a bit frustrated um, when reading rants and whatever about EOT because the whole point of the privateer class being sold was if you go and watch 2017, an LMP2 car almost won the race. That's the whole point about this privateer class. You you have something that, yeah, sure, is not as fast, but you're getting it at a lot lower cost. Still a lot of money, but all you need to do is be faster than a P2 and be faster than others around you and in your little kind of subclass in inverted commas. Yep. It, it, there's an expectation that Toyota will be the fastest as sort of a, an inverted commas, a reward for the investment for the longevity of this program that they've put a lot of resource into. So the privateer success hinges on failure of hybrid, which is perfectly normal and intended and as it should be. Mm. And it's a very good uh, thing that you pick out 2017 because, yeah, as you said, a P2 car almost won the race and had, say, the Bicolors car gotten to the finish instead of expiring on literally the first lap, they would have won the race quite comfortably, As in fact. Based on their lap times, they were a good, well, seven or eight seconds faster than the P2 cars that year. So had they gotten yep. past the first lap and actually made it to the finish, they would have quite comfortably won a Le Mans 24-hour race overall. So it's absolutely not unheard of, and we have been uh, talking very recently, in fact, about uh, Le Mans finishes that were reliability drives instead of pace drives. So it's, yeah, you can argue day and night of what the EOT is uh, meant to achieve, but at the end of the day, it was about bringing, selling privateers the idea of winning Le Mans if Toyota didn't make the finish. Now, does that generally produce great racing? Maybe not. You know, we have seen a very one-sided championship with a very one-sided Le Mans last year as well. And that is, again, due to the fact that Toyota's car is just technologically much better than what the privateers can produce. But that is the situation we find ourselves in with only one original equipment manufacturer. But there has been adjustments to the EOT in order to at least bring the advantage down a bit uh are we expecting the privateers to be able to run full bore for all their stints are they going to have to be lifting and coasting as much as they were in the past which significantly hampered their pace do we know they should not be lifting and coasting so that's good that Um, that gives them a bit more fire down the straights and that also probably helps elevate those speed trap numbers as well uh which is why we're seeing those hero numbers from the smp guys but yeah, at the end of the day, the Toyotas should still win, right? Yeah, and something that is a bit feels a bit forced is the the stint length advantage that that is kind of baked in hard baked into the rules. <laughs> there, it's a where do you draw the line of you know fast enough? Stop, they're already dead, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, for the privateers, they have a hard in, ingrained advantage. They haven't shown that much of a uh, reliability um, plagued car as previous years of Toyota. But we have seen a little bit of an inkling of problems at Spa uh, with the 7 having a a sense of failure that that shut down their hybrid system, losing uh, 10 seconds a lap. Yeah, something ridiculous. Um, Yeah. yeah. And 
it shows how much they rely on these hybrid systems. The the V6 alone in the back of these cars versus the monster engines that are in the rest of the class. I mean, there's no comparison. Mm. However, it's a little kind of carrot on the end of the stick, kind of making you think, are they going to have a little issue here and there? And then the privateers are close enough to really put a gap on the Toyotas when, if and when they're in the garage. Yep, which is what we and saw that at Spa. Really, yeah, and and then we saw the seven really push because they had something to fight for as well. They really needed to push, and you know, partly I want to see both Toyotas have no issues because you don't want to wish that on them. But also, it means that the seven and eight will push each other to the limit, hopefully, unless yep. there's team orders. Um, <laughs> but both teams really, really, really want to win. But then, on the other hand, if one or both of the cars have issues and then have to fight back, yeah, we're going to see what these cars can really, really, really do. Yeah, and that failure at Spa will make Toyota nervous uh, because it only takes one little issue like that for them to drop a bucket of time. And that number seven car didn't actually end up getting back on the podium. They finished fourth. Uh, and part of that was because of the weather conditions and the race shortening and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still enough of a an issue to make the Toyota guys nervous. So the the privateers do have that carrot at the end of the stick, as you put it. And if they run a flawless race, they could get rewarded. And I think that is the big thing for me is is making is wanting to see the privateers run a perfect race because we haven't really seen that yet the the all the privateer cars have been played by bad luck or bad bad timing bad decision making and bad reliability and in, in order for the class to be successful anyway they need to have reliability and they need to get to the finish and that's something that has been lacking so on one hand, the EOT doesn't make it easy, but on the other hand, the privateers need to step up and execute in order to get the rewards. So I'll put it to you right now then. Rebellion or SMP Racing? Who's going to be the better privateer over the 24 hours? Uh, oh, man. Um, it's a, If it was on pace alone, I think SMP, but I think Rebellion would take it on reliability. Ooh, great, great or between the between the privateers, yeah. Great, great fence sitting there. I really, you amaze me with how well you're able to fence sit. <laughs> the problem is, I agree as well. I think Rebellion are a better outfit in terms of uh, presenting and running a car, but the SMP, the BR engineering car, it does seem to have just that little bit extra at this event. Now, now, of course, you know we're saying this in light of. Andre Lotterer lighting the screens alight at the end of the test session and putting that car as significantly the best of the privateers. Um, but I think the high-speed, low-downforce solution is a better solution for Le Mans, especially when you're contending with a lot of lower-class traffic that is pretty close to you on pace. It is just a matter, of course, getting the car to the end, which didn't happen last year for the BR engineering cars. And could be in danger of not happening again. Any last comments on LMP1 before we move on to the 20-car strong LMP2 field? Yeah, I just wish all the best to all of the plucky privateers. Yeah, really have a a, uh, good go at those pesky Toyotas. Oh, look at you. That's extremely respectful. Oh, 
and you know don't break down and and have don't, your engine explode at yeah midnight. don't hit walls and yeah stuff like that yeah <laughs> okay um we'll move on to lmp2 uh of course LMP2 uh, is the LMP2 formula for all the ACO-affiliated series around the world. Uh, so it's the same four chassis uh, with the stock Gibson drivetrain uh, in all these cars. Uh, so that means that the teams have a choice between the Orica 07, the Ligier JSP217, uh, and the Dallara uh, P217 and the Riley Multramatic, which we'd rather not talk about. <laughs> so really, they have the choice between mo- not really three chassis, let's be real. In LMP2, you are required to run at least one silver or lower rated driver, um, that making them an FIA amateur graded driver. This is important because it means that a, you're opening up a class for amateur drivers, which is important at Le Mans. We've had discussions about that in the past. Um, and B, when and how you use your amateur driver in comparison to the rest of the field can have significant impact on how the race pans out. We've seen amateur drivers do amazing things and some not so amazing things at Le Mans in the past. Now, in LMP2, there is also a. It's also the only class which has a tire war between. Uh, to tire brands so all the other classes run michelins not necessarily because they're mandated to just because everyone chooses michelin but in lmp2 you have a choice between the dunlop tire and the michelin ollie you have done significant amounts of data analysis on your sports car engineering blog which we'll give a quick plug to check that out if you want some more in-depth data that we're about to present what would you say is the differences between the tyres, the Dunlop and the Michelin tyre, and then between any of the chassis. If you were to choose one package, what would you choose? I think for the tyres, uh, well, I would start with an Orica or something rebadged um, that <laughs> was an Orica. But yeah, I would use that as a base. But I think I'm going to have to wait and see to for the Michelin Dunlop um, because... The recent developments that Dunlop have made, uh, you're allowed three specs of tyres per season. And Michelin brought theirs, they played their third card earlier. And Dunlop brought their spec C, their third tyre, in before Sebring. And it worked well, and they've got more and more data from it now. It's it's really close. um, And I think it might just come down to the, the weather conditions. You know, whichever, they might be skewed. Uh, for a cooler performance or a hotter ambient for performance between the two. And it might just be, you know, where they fall during the 24 hours as we go from around, I think, predicted 25 degrees ambient down to nighttime, cold, and then back up. I think it might just be retrospective looking back at which tyres worked uh, with the ambient with their kind of operating windows. Michelin historically have been better on one lap pace Yep. Uh, with uh, the Dunlop maybe better on a stint. There've been some ELMS races that kind of visually show this last season when the, the tire war kind of started bubbling away with cars that would get pole positions, even Ligier's for that matter. And then maybe 10, 15 laps into the race, then they start falling back on their lap yep. times and the Dunlop cars start moving through. Yeah, we'll see how that 
sort of plays out like looking at the best sector or specific sector times for lmp2 was quite interesting because the porsche curves times the top four i think of the class were michelin or top five were michelin cars uh, and then the best dunlop i think was 0.4 seconds uh, back something like that so like with the lmp1 kind of commentary the michelin tires uh, can sustain high G for a long duration and maybe get more performance out yep. in this um, kind of when they're really pushed hard uh, in these long corners. So, yeah, I'd like to see what these cars can do in qualifying. Hmm. I think we will see a Michelin car on pole, even though the fastest car in the test day was a Dunlop. Was a Dunlop. Yeah, um, it's interesting you make mention of the tyre stressing over a stint. Le Mans isn't necessarily that high degradation a surface. It's a public road and for the most part, and you're generally running down highways in very straight lines. So you're not taking that much out of a tyre. So I wonder uh, if the stint advantage that the Dunlop traditionally does enjoy might get a bit nullified by the fact that you're expecting to be double or triple or even quadruple stinting these tires you know you might find that on a michelin you can get three stints out of it before it starts to drop off significantly and then you'd be changing the tires anyway so that might be uh, an interesting question to keep an eye on as the race unfolds now you said you wanted an orica why do you want an orica why not a delara or a ligier or a riley what makes the orica so good Uh, they've historically had the best results when you look at at the end of the race yeah sure quite a lot of them have the best results there are more of them Mm. than the others so you have a statistical advantage there but also you could argue the amateur is the main key to the the where you position at the end of the race not the chassis so it might be going hand in hand that they're coupled in that you know it's easier for an amateur to get more performance out of a certain chassis because they might be easier to drive etc etc but the the real key to the class is the am and what we've kind of seen is you know the best ams are generally in the orica cars mm. at spa when i looked at the amateur performances you know the top 3 amateurs were miles ahead and they were all in orica cars there was yep. job for narrative roberto gonzalez i think roberto is his yes. first name and heinemar hansen um they were really really up there so yes it would be an orica because with the pro drivers in where the the differences between driver is a lot smaller the orica gives some really really good results they're also quick in a straight line but quick through the corners as well they've got a really nice design that way around but yeah i think yep. orica is the way to go it's it seems like the orica is has placed itself as the best chassis in this cycle of p2 regulations and yeah it's interesting you mentioned the statistical advantage the the point i've always argued with the oracles in p2 is that a they've got a lot more drivers which mean a lot more teams which means that they've got a data advantage but a lot more of the better teams are running Oricas as well. So, you know, the the G-Drives or the TDS Racings or the Alpine or it's, you know, you can rattle off these team names. They're all running 
uh, Oricas, whereas if you want to look at the top teams in the Ligue, you've got a you've basically got United Autosports, and you could maybe throw. Oh, I'm not even Panis sure. Bartes. Yeah, you could even yeah maybe throw Panas Bartes into the mix as well. Um, so it looks like the Ligues on the whole are a lot weaker. But the reality is that the teams that are running the Ligues are generally not the top running teams because they're not top-running teams, not because they're running a Ligier. So, yeah. On the other hand, though, look at ELMS. The last few races, I think it was the last three races in a row, were won by Ligier cars, uh, and I think on Michelin rubber. So they work well together. Mm. Um, they've proven to win races against good opposition. I mean, G-Drive, when they come together at Le Mans with the, the WEC cars, they're coming out really you know, high up the order. So to go against head to head against G Drive like that and win as a as a, a chassis win three races in a row is really significant. Mm. And also the Delara and the Ligiers now have race experience on their low drag aero kits. So last year was the first time Ligier had one because the year before I believe they didn't have one available. So yep. all the cars were just running their normal high downforce body kits with all the the dive planes and flicks removed the Delara wasn't used that year either because of stability issues so when the joker upgrades came out they were the first time the Delara and the Ligiers had used low downforce kits in the race you know that's difficult because it's an unknown territory for these teams whereas now they have more data to go up against the Oricas Mm, fantastic point. So at the end of the day, what you're saying is you want an Orica with half Dunlop, half Michelins and a good silver driver in it. Now, I don't know if I'm going to split them left to right or front to back. <laughs> uh, good. Okay, well, we'll, we'll keeping keep that in mind, we'll go through the 20 strong LMP2 grid. Um, as we go through, we'll make sure to mention uh, what series these cars have earned their entry through or have been at large in, um, just so you get an idea of how the uh, the series has been split. Um, and we'll start off from the very top with the number 20 high-class racing Orica 07, uh, featuring Anders Fjordback, Dennis Anderson, and Matthias Besch as the pro driver in that team. Uh, this car has come from the ELMS. Now, high-class racing have traditionally been a Delara runner, but they've made the switch to an Orica this season, and it's yielded some pretty positive results for them, hasn't it? Yeah, they've they've been sort of doing pretty good at the start of races in the ELMS with the Delara, but then I think when Anderson gets in the car, it kind of falls back a bit and then it never comes back. Mm. But now this season, what we've seen in the ELMS, they've been really getting it going, learning the new car. It's difficult. They've done a lot of testing. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's, it's a mid to top performing car. Mm. I... I'll be honest, one of the reasons I fell in love with the high-class racing outfit was because they were running a Delara in chrome blue, which just gave me flashbacks of the old KCMG Orica 05, which won at Le Mans in LMP2 in 2015, because the Delara chassis looks pretty similar to the old Orica 05. And they ended up picking up consecutive second places in the 2016-17 ELMS season. 
So it was a little sad for them to a swap their color scheme from chrome, chrome blue to red and white, and then b change from Delara to Orica. But I still, I, I still very much enjoy watching the high class racing guys race. I think Anders Fjordback is still on the way up, which is saying something considering how good he has already gotten uh, as a silver driver. Uh, and adding Matthias Besch to that team, which is a uh, Rebellion LMP1, I guess you could say outcast now, that's a significantly strong lineup. Yeah, and who knows if they can keep this driver in future. I think for various reasons, I think we're going to be talking about high class uh, a lot for a, for a while. Um, for very good reasons. So hopefully they can um, use this as a launch pad at Le Mans. Fantastic. Uh, they ended up on uh, ended up in 17th at the test day uh, with a lap time of 3.33, so about f- or five seconds back from the head of the field. But again, not really looking too hard at the testing times because everyone was on different programs uh, during the test day. So you've got guys like some of the WEC team's at the lowest of you know 328 lap times and then yeah as i mentioned 333 is not really that impressive but that's not really the point of the test day it's really just to dial everything in and they haven't been before so Mm. you know that's another thing that this is all new to them exactly right yeah and they're still learning the orica as you mentioned Uh, yeah coming to a new track as well And, and a big event you know le mans no no scrub in terms of the size of the event so you want to make sure that you just get through the program on the first day and make sure you're all set up i think part of it is also these new rookie driver um yes programs uh they take up a lot of time to during the the test day so you know they didn't really have that long to put besh in the car and do some hero laps exactly right yeah, so expect that car to be very quick with Besh in it and still pretty quick with uh, Fjord back in it. Maybe not so quick with Dennis Anderson in it. Um, we'll move on to the number 22 United Autosports Ligier. Uh, this is the first of the Ligiers on the entry list. Uh, this car has uh, the equal youngest driver in the field in it, in Phil Hansen, and then uh, the two platinum drivers, Felipe Albuquerque and Paul DeResta. Wow, you can... Definitely see how much of a pull United Autosports have with getting their big drivers to an event like this. That's And we're only through one of their cars. Yeah, that's crazy LMP2. Uh, sorry, crazy platinum drivers in that car. What, how do you rate United Autosport? Uh, do we want to talk about the other car as well while we're here? Yeah, yeah, yeah we sure. might as well. Um, the other car is the number 32 car. Uh, so if you're following along on Andy Blackmore's Spotter's Guide, which you should have, uh, and I should have said that from the very beginning, um, it is two uh, rows down from the 22. Uh, that car has Irish driver Ryan Cullen, Alex Brundle as the uh, pro-rated driver, and Will Owen. Uh, so two silvers in that car and a gold versus the uh, number 22, which is Phil Hansen as the silver, and then two platinum drivers. So United Autosports, they got the extra car at Le Mans, which is what they were looking for. Um, both of these cars have been running in the ELMS this season. However, their automatic invite was from winning the Asian Le Mans series last season. Yeah, how do we how do we rate United Autosports' chances, you know, heading into Le Mans? They know these cars inside out. They, you know, they enter them in lots of different categories all over the world. They're going to be joining WEC with the... Uh, 22, 22 yeah with phil hansen and i guess yeah they're the official agents of ligier so they kind of distribute the cars they know them inside out they have 
top mechanics, top engineers. Yeah, I think these are the the top Ligier teams. And in terms of the driver lineup, Phil Hansen is a really good AM. So these are this kind of my dark horse AM um, pick. Ooh, dark horse. Okay. I, yeah. I would rate them a bit better than a dark horse. I think maybe not a favorite, but they're definitely definitely in the mix. I think the the 22's got a much better chance than the 32. Nothing against the drivers in the 32. I've just, you know, I'm not that impressed by Ryan Cullen and Will Owen, especially when the alternative is Felipe Albuquerque and Paul DeResta. So definitely, yeah, I'd I'd say the uh, the 22 is going to be the one that's really pushing towards the head of the field. Um, they are on the Michelin tires, which I think has been pretty standard for them in the ELMS and Asian one series as well. The whole yeah, time. They, yeah. they, ch- they changed, um, tire supplier last season, ah. um, during the ELMS. And I think they switched just before the, the deluge race at spa. Um, so they kind of made the most of new Michelin wet tires that work pretty well. And yeah, so they switched halfway through and have really been making the most of them. Unfortunately, we, wouldn't see what they would have done with the spec C new Dunlops because they switched before well before cool so they know the tires they know the car of course and they know the track this is Phil Hansen's third entry or second or third entry which means he's definitely been here before once at least even you know even at his super young age I think he's what in his teens still definitely still in his teens I think he's is he 18 yeah too young yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it makes me feel real old. Yeah, you can say that again. Damn. And on that note, we're just going to move on because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to fathom that thought. Uh, we'll move on to the next team on the entry list, number twenty-three, Panes Bartes competition. This is a Ligier uh, with a Dunlop uh, uh, tires, and they, this is being driven by Rene Binder, Julian Canal, and Will Stevens. Now, this car last year was the surprise packet of the field for me. They were very much in the mix until the later stages of the race where they suffered a problem which put them out, unfortunately. Um, but I was still very impressed because I didn't expect a second Ligier team to be that competitive, besides United, of course. Yeah, this one's quite curious because they were the kind of vanguard of using Michelin tyres for quite a while in ELMS. And after the, the United Autosports switched to Michelin, they then switched to Dunlop. So it'll be a nice comparison to for the when the pro drivers are in the car, if they're in the car at the same time. If they were on Michelin, they could be maybe punching up there with Will Stevens in the car for a really quick qualifying lap. But with the Dunlops in, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think these, these are, they'll be sneaking around uh, and then pick up the pieces of cars failing i think um they can get the car around um clean they just need to go out and do it yep this driver lineup's only had one change from last year last year they had uh timothy bure instead of Rene binder uh, Rene binder has been running the by collars throughout this season though in the latter rounds um so that's not necessarily too bad a, p- a pickup uh in all honesty and yeah, as I mentioned, they were really, really strong last year. Uh, and I, I hold good hope for the, for this team. I, I really think that they they punch a lot above their weight a lot, which is really, really nice. And 
at Le Mans, a French team at Le Mans is always going to have some sort of romanticism about it. And hopefully they can carry that through to a good result. And hopefully they get to the end uh, this year as well uh, in a good position because, yeah, last year they were unfortunate enough to suffer a mechanical failure very late on. They got, uh, I'm just looking at test times and trying to find them, uh, 13th in the class with a 331. So they didn't, you know, set the world on fire, but they did set quite a significant number of laps, which to be honest is almost more important in the test day than the outright pace. Uh, they set upwards of 80, 85 laps on the test day. So one of the higher teams in LMP2. Yeah, they, they will probably be the next best thing uh, if you're looking to support Ligier and don't want to support United Autosports for whatever reason. And if you go to the race and happen to partake in a McDonald's next to the football stadium, you are directly supporting this race car. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's because real cool. I think Julian Canal owns that franchise. Oh, well, look at that. Call, call, talk about keeping it local. Uh, moving on now, uh, next up on the list, number 25, Algarve Pro Racing. Very common name in this Le Mans entry list over the years. Uh, this is running an Orica 07 this year with Dunlop tyres. Uh, at the seat, we have silver-rated David Jollinger, gold-rated now Andrea Pizzatola, and the bronze-rated driver is John Faub, who was driving for United last year, if I recall correctly uh no he wasn't at least not at Le Mans oh he would have been in the LMP3 team I feel because that's that's where I feel I know that name from um that driver lineup has had a change uh since the last round of the season uh for ELMS where that car is from that car would normally have Mark Patterson in it but what's happened to Mark unfortunately at a uh, Le Mans test day I think it was at Monza Yes, um, it was the ELMS was, test. Yeah, um, there was a, a coming together, let's say, between the two APR cars, I think. And uh, unfortunately, Patterson broke his hip or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, really horrible. Unfortunately, even though that was a while ago, relative to you know some sporting injuries and coming back from them, um, it's still too much to come back to yep. make it to, to Le Mans. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was very unfortunate for Mark Patterson uh, to get injured that close to the event, um, but they were able to find a driver to fill his seat and bring the money along with him as well, because um, Mark Patterson is the money man behind Algarve Pro. Um, they've actually swapped from a Ligier to an Orica for this season, so that's a pretty significant change. Uh, and their gold-rated driver, uh, Andrea Pizzatola, he's actually a series champion of the ELMS last year as a silver rated driver. So it's a big step up for him as well, being the professional in the team, um, instead of having the likes of uh, Roman Rusinov and John Eric Verne to carry him through, which they, which is what he had last year. Yeah, it's, it's, it will be interesting to see how he goes up against the other kind of top drivers of of other top cars. He was being talked about a lot because he was at the upper end of his previous driver rating band, whether he'll still be talked about in a positive light in a, the band above, I'm yet to see that. And especially considering he is the top driver in the car on paper kind of thing with driver ratings, having only just been made a gold. Yeah, we'll see. It's a big, it's a big step to, 
you know, have someone like Jean-Eric Byrne teaching you and setting up the car and stuff like that, and then going into another team and having to do that yourself. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was I was going to make. It's it's not just about driving the car that's important when you're the pro in the car. It's about setting it up and get, driving around issues that the the amateur drivers might need to to make the car more comfortable for them or coaching the amateur drivers to bring them up to speed. It's a lot more involved than just sitting and driving the car. And that's one of the cool things about sports car racing, isn't it? Is that you got to share a car with another three people. And you've got to bear the brunt of the driver time as well. Yeah, exactly right. How do we rate Argyle Pro's chances? Do we reckon they're going to be one of the top running Oracles or do we see them more mid-pack to low-pack to front-pack to wherever? Well, you know, despite being the best chassis, it comes down to your AMs. So, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to have an Orica at the back of the grid. Mm. I'm not saying that they will be, but it's a it's a team coming together last minute. Uh, I don't see their driver lineup pushing them up the front but you know you never know anything can happen they could get a strategy call right to jump them up they could you know uh, other cars could be falling around in front of them like skittles so you never know i i agree i don't i don't see them as a absolute front runner um but i don't expect them to find trouble um algarve it's a bright blue car so it's not going to get hit hopefully (laughs) so yeah, I, I don't see them breaking out of the mid-pack, unfortunately. But we'll see how they go come 3pm on Sunday. Uh, we'll move on to the next car on the entry list, number 26. This is the ELMS Championship winning car from last year. The G-Drive Racing Aorus 01. Now, you'll notice that Aorus isn't uh, one of the approved chassis designers. But this is basically just a Orica 07 with a different badge on it. So don't get too freaked out. Uh, driving this car is gold-rated Roman Rusinov, uh, silver-rated Job van Utert. Is that, did I get that right? Uh, is it Utert? Um, Utert? I. I, I, I? Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I'll allow that, yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> and, and the platinum in the car is Jean-Eric Verne. These guys are on Dunlop tires. And as I mentioned, uh, ELMS champions last season. Uh, former WEC champions as well in the P2 class, and yet to take a Le Mans win, I think, um, for Roman Rusinov and the G-Drive gang. They've been oh, well, in strong... After they got the disqualified, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, they did win last year, but then they got disqualified for modifying a homologated part in the fuel flow rig, so there you go. Yeah, don't do that if you want to win Le Mans. These guys have been the class of ELMS for the past oh, two seasons, really, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them do very well. Definitely, yeah. They, they you know, they've they've got one of my top picks in terms of uh, amateur drivers who actually is faster than their gold rated driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it. We were saying that they'd broken the system last year, and now they've kind of stepped up their game another level. It's just, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a little bit. So so for context, uh, last year their amateur driver was Andrea Pizzatola. Uh, now it's uh, Job Van Otert, which uh, they've basically been just GP2 drivers or F2 drivers, haven't they? Yeah, and that's the thing that you can get away with when you have a gold uh, or higher rated driver that brings the money in mm. um, or have, you know, another company separate to the drivers bringing the drivers in may allowing you to be more flexible with your driver choice and these are effectively 
professional or future professional racing drivers anyway so they can understand how to make a car go really fast or basically avoid driving slowly which a lot of the other amateurs can't avoid yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's a system that works if you have the money the to allow you to be or the privilege of being more flexible with your driver i think they've made the most of it out of anyone here on this grid i mean it's kind of united have kind of got that with phil hansen and and having a, a significant team with money coming in from areas other than the driver um necessarily g drive have still got that with yep. the the money coming from gazprom a massive oil uh, pe- petroleum company and yeah i think they've got a really really good shot um having them turn up at spa allowed us to compare amateur times with um, both elms grid and the wec grid of amateurs and yeah job is really 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 good so have a look at his stint times have a look at his pace um it's it's quite impressive i think at monza he he was the best rated driver on top 15 top 30 laps kind of thing yeah it's supposed to be a silver it's yeah it's kind of crazy how you can just pluck these silvers which are actually upcoming professionals and put them in a system like this where they can just show the absolute maximum of their ability and just blow everyone else away is a little little scary um but of course then you have to play the the roulette at the end of it trying to find another one which they've had to do year on year on year on year I would go out on a limb here and say that this car is easily a pick for a podium position uh, come the end of the 24 hours. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree too. They've got a really good team as well in the pits, if, regardless of being able to find loopholes or not in the rules. Um, the team is really good at keeping the car out of the pits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And of course, Rusinov and Vern have been driving together for a long time. So they've got a lot of chemistry between the two of them. And then, yeah, add whatever super silver you want to that. And you've got a crazy killer lineup. So keep an eye out for that one uh, as a pick for a podium position. And yeah, as long as Rusinov keeps it clean in traffic and they don't mess around with homologated parts, they should be in a commanding position at some point. Uh, we'll move on to the next car, number 28, TDS Racing, Orica 07. This is a WEC entry. Uh, the first of the WEC entries actually on the list. Um, these guys are running Oricas. Oh, wait, no, they are already in an Orica. They're running Dunlop tyres. And the driver lineup is a all-French affair of Francois Perotto, Matteo Vaxivier, and Loic Duval. Now, I've been more than a little disappointed with the TDS team and this driver lineup throughout the series. With Duval and Vaxivier, I was under the impression that they would be a much stronger force in WC competition, but they do seem to be hampered uh, quite a fair bit by their amateur driver, Francois Perotto. How How is the amateur driver stacked up against the other AMs in the WC competition? Well, um, it's, it's such a kind of oxymoron or, or whatever, this car. They, they go out, get pole position, Loic Duval in the car, or, you know, really close to pole position. First few stints, whatever, they're right at the front. And then Perodo gets in the car and does his thing. He might not crash, he might be fine, but his pace is just simply not there. 
comparing with other cars at the races in the WEC, he's one of the slowest drivers in the class. No disrespect to him, whatever, but you know, it's a bronze versus silver kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and LMP2 is not, if you want to be competitive, basically either be a super bronze <laughs> that shouldn't be a bronze or be a silver. He's previously come from GTEM, which is a requirement to have a bronze. And I believe that's where the direction they'll be going next year. Yeah, it would probably be or better. next season, right? Yeah, probably be better for him to do that. He was uh, actually, in fact, a series champion in GTM uh, in 2016 uh, at the seat of an AF Corsa car. Uh, so definitely coming from WC pedigree, but it just hasn't shaken out the way that we would have expected in LMP2. And you've uh, placed in our discussion chat here a very uh, very telling graph. Um, showing the top 25 lap times for the amateur drivers from the LMP2 class at Spa-Francorchamps. And even Francois Perotto's best lap is slower than what David Hennemeyer Hansen and Job Van Oethe were doing on their slowest laps out of that 25 uh, lap grouping. So it is a quite a stark difference in performance, which unfortunately, in a pro-am class, is going to hamper your ability to win. Thoughts on where this car might end up? Well, we've got Labra, so I'm not going to say last. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's it's such a hot and cold thing. Like, Loic Duval is going to put... You're going to see the number 28 up there in qualifying. It's mm. a done deal, unless they bin it. But then, at the end of the race... That it, it the qualifying to to race classification there's could, just no correlation yeah it could be an entirely different story uh that car was initially classified fourth last year before getting that taken away for having for being a part of the team that had the modified fuel rig um they were running the g drive racing car at the time as well uh, tds racing so it's not unheard of for them to do well it's just what we're saying is quite unlikely. Definitely. Yep. yep. So we'll move on to the next car on the list, number 29. This is the first of the Dallaras on the entry list. This is the racing team Netherland Dallara P217 uh, running Michelin tyres uh, with drivers Fritz van Erd, Guido van der Garde, and Nick de Vries. Now, this this car is a very special car for you, isn't it, Ollie? Yeah, it's nice to hear the Dutch national anthem played <laughs> before the start of the race again. Again, um, I'll, I'll be waving my new passport <laughs> um, to it. But no, um, I think it's just fun. You see the, the the mechanics climb the pit wall right at the end of um, the pit lane. They're one of the last garages just before pit out, and yeah, there's a big wall of yellow on the pit lane all the mechanics they're so happy this will be the last year i think davy tech will be running the car so these mechanics are going to have a nice send-off i think yep um regardless of what happens cool that's yeah, that's pretty cool being a delara on the entry list they are not necessarily expected to be one of the quicker teams um because the delara is it's it, it shows glimpses of brilliance 
um, especially in this car when Guido Vandergaard is at the seat of it. But over a race distance, it does seem to fall away from the Oricas and the Ligiers. Um, but on the other hand, this car should be stronger than they were last year because they've picked up F2 driver Nick DeVries over the bronze, the additional bronze driver they had last year, Jan Lammers. So that's a pretty significant shift, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big step up. Um, he's never driven here before the test day. So it's kind of a bit of an unknown to see how we'll do in the race. But after a, li- a bit of a shaky start in the car, they've been doing really good in terms of the, the Hido and Nick uh, when they're in the car. Hopefully get some get maybe a, a safety car or slow zones out put uh, to put Fritz in and burn his race time. Yep. But yeah, when when those two younger drivers are in the car it's pretty rapid considering people saying it's a really slow chassis yeah exactly all right Where, well whereabouts do you see these guys um between fifth place and tenth place yeah that's pretty much exactly what i was going to say as well the back half of the top 10 seems about appropriate for where they are at at the moment uh moving on uh number 30 duquesne engineering orica 07 this is a car that's come from the european le mans series this is an orica on michelin's an old French affair in the driver lineup as well. Nicolas Jamin, uh, Pierre Rags as the uh, silver driver, and Romain Dumas dropping out of the sky to jump into an LMP2 car at Le Mans. This is a bit of an interesting story. These guys got elevated from the reserve list to race at this year's Le Mans. Uh, I think they were the first slot on the reserve list, getting elevated yep. after a GTM Ferrari pulled out. They took a race win last year in the LMS at uh, the Red Bull Ring, but had that taken away from uh, f- from them for a fuel irregularity. Apparently, they'd uh, had some residue in the drums from a test day that was using different spec fuel, which then got into the fuel tank and put the fuel out of allowable tolerances. So that's quite unfortunate, but they have been a pretty impressive team in the LMS in the last eighteen months and thoroughly deserve their slot at Le Mans. Yeah, I think I think well, I wonder how uh, if uh, a car has ever won its class from the reserve list. I think this is a, the best one of the best shots at winning from the reserve list. The the amateurs quick, the cars quick, the teams good at setting up the car. Roman Dumas. I mean, he's what just a, what a super sub, isn't it? Record, not bad driver to pop in the car, and I think they can win the the damn thing. I I don't want to agree with you, but I I do. <laughs> Everything is pointing towards that. It, it's it's kind of crazy, yeah. The the fact that you mentioned that you're not sure if anyone's ever won from the reserve list, but it definitely could happen here. I'm just trying to see. If if Pierre Rags or Nicolas Jamin was racing at Le Mans last year, um, and it doesn't look like they were, at least not in LMP2. So this could be a, a situation of three brand new drivers to a class in a, a, in a an event getting elevated off the reserve list and potentially having a shot at winning overall, which would be quite a story, I think. Definitely. And we're we're, yep. we're not trying to we're not trying to oversell this. We're we're not trying to like blow blow air up their butts. 
we're actually legitimately saying that this team has the potential to win this race. I'd, I think I'd, so. Yeah, I'd put them easily in the top five, possibly top three. Yep. Cool. I'm glad we agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, so keep an eye out for them. Duquesne Engineering, blue and black example. Uh, we'll move on to Dragon Speed. This is the LMP2 Dragon Speed car, of course. Uh, the WEC full season entry with Michelin tires. This is the driver lineup featuring Roberto Gonzalez as the silver Raider driver. And then Pastor Maldonado and Anthony Davison as dual platinums in the car. Now that's a scary driver lineup as well. I think it, with all three drivers considered, I think this is the best driver lineup um, of the class. Um, mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Basically, yeah. two platinums and a super silver. I mean, that looks quite good. Mm. And it's not just any Platinums either. You've got a former F1 driver who's actually won a race and a former F1 driver who then came over to WEC and won a championship in LMP1 as well. So significant significant skill um, behind the wheel of that car. And interesting you mentioned Roberto Gonzalez as being a super silver. I kind of agree. He's basically what I'd call like the top echelon of a real silver. He's a business promoter. He was the promoter of the WEC Six Hours of Mexico, and that's sort of what he does for a living. But he's he is one of those guys who just is good at racing sports cars as well and makes his hobby his life. So he's definitely still an amateur, but he's easily on par with some of the gold drivers in some of the other cars around. So it's it's like that perfect middle ground between being a fake silver and a real silver. Well, going back to the to the uh, spa comparison of amateurs, he was going toe to toe over the best twenty laps with Jörg van Oetert. and then uh, at multiple races, his uh, after maybe twenty or thirty top laps, he does fall back a bit. So it might kind of lose a bit of consistency, fall out of a groove, or maybe he's more cautious passing, whereas other cars can carve right through. Yeah, I think. His his top times are right up there with the top of the class for band of drivers and look out for this car. I have a few concerns about reliability and stuff like that. I mean, didn't they have a brake a front left brake disc explode um, last year? Something like that. Um, mm, yeah, and or at least a failure. So I have some concerns about the the, the engineering behind the car um, compared to how good some of the other teams are. It's a bit, I don't know about Dragon Speed, but it's kind of a bit like a little team that could, um, or sometimes a little team that couldn't in terms of P1. <laughs> but um, they have had some issues in the past, and they were pretty lucky to win the race at Spa mm, as yeah. well. I think they are the best driver lineup, but maybe the, the team behind the car, um, there's a question mark there. Yeah, that's that. that is a fair call, and... You know, motor racing is a team sport and it's not just about the people behind the wheel. I would say, though, that compared to where they were last year, where that third driver was Nathaniel Berton, who's now racing in the uh, LMP1 uh, Rebellion, slotting Ant Davidson into that role is certainly not going to do their pro- chances any problems. It probably bolsters them quite a fair bit. So Dragon Speed, I'd put them in as a top five, top five finisher. Of course, the problem is not 
all of the people we say are going to be top five finishers can be top five finishers because there's just such a lot, of, such a high level of quality in this field. We've already talked about the number thirty-two, so we'll skip over to the uh, number thirty-four inter-Europol competition Ligier. This car has come from the Asian Le Mans series, uh, I think. Yes, courtesy of winning LMP three. Yep, that sounds about I right. Think- um, so this is a Ligier on Michelin's uh, with drivers. Uh, it's actually a Polish team. No, Polish. Or, yes. Uh, let yes, me just Polish. let me just double check because the Polish flag and the Singaporean flag are like inverted, and I don't want to get this wrong. No, it's the Indonesian. Oh, you you are right. In fact, it is the Indonesian. The best flag. way to just the best way to remember it is um, imagine the Dutch flag and then uh, ripping off the blue stripe because I believe that's how the Indonesian flag was made. Really? Yep. The more you know. Isn't the Monogasque flag also one of those as well? Um, I think the Monogasque is the same as the Indonesian. Oh, that's so, so confusing. Poland is Poland is unique with the white on the top, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, anyway, now that we've gotten that little um, vexillology lesson out of the way, drivers are uh, Jakub Schmikowski? Um, and I've probably butchered that name because it is a Polish name. Uh, and then Nigel Moore and James Winslow, much more Anglican names I can get right. Uh, a trio of silver drivers in a team that has stepped up from LMP3 competition in a race they haven't been to before. How do we rate their chances at this event? Well, it's a bit of a shame with um, the driver lineup coming in, I think Winslow came in uh, pretty l- late, and they had a much higher rated driver beforehand. Um, oh, okay. That was supposed to be at the race, and yeah, I guess <laughs> there aren't enough amazing drivers to go round, considering how good this lineup throughout the whole class is. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a fun story. I mean, it's a comp- it's a <laughs> into Europol. I think is a bakery. So <laughs> nice. I think it's I think it's it's just a bit of fun. Uh it's a mega looking car. I mean green gradient to yellow across the whole thing with gold wheels is pretty pretty flash. Interesting. And yeah, I think it's just a, a bit of a feel good car. I'm not gonna say they're gonna be up there, but a top ten would be a real good feel good finish yeah i i think for them getting to the finish and getting a decent result will be the goal and this is kind of the point of giving the lmp3 winning teams uh, an invite to le mans it's inviting them to do a very prestigious event as a reward for winning their championship and hopefully uh invites them to push up into that higher classes and to build on their success to go chase these bigger victories so uh, yeah i think with an old silver lineup an event they've never been to before jumping into a new car they'll look to finish the race and finish it successfully and that's a perfectly reasonable goal to have yeah I, i will agree that they probably shouldn't end up in the top 10 come the end of the race but if they keep their noses clean they could very well do Cool. Nice feel-good story. I had no idea that was a bakery. That was the sponsorship. That's cool. Imagine that. Imagine being. I, I, a... I'm pretty sure it is, but yeah, yeah. That would be that would be fantastic. I'm going to start a bakery and sponsor a car to Le Mans. I'm not going to I do that. I think the catering in the paddock will be really good around that <laughs> area of the pit lane. If you're going through the paddock, the pit number 21, so hang around there and you might get lucky. Are you going to give us a, a sampling review uh, after your trip to Le Mans? 
maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Uh, next up on the list is another one of the big hitters from the WEC. This is the Signatech Alpine Matmut number 36 car, driving the Alpine A470 Gibson, which is just the Orica 07 with a different French badge on it. They are Michelin-clad and have the driver lineup Nicolas Lapierre, André Negrau, and Pierre Thierrier. Any early comments you want to make about this car before I start spewing some facts? I think they are the, a really good team. I think their mechanics are good. I think the whole setup is good. They've got a good money base. It's just Pierre Thierrier is not the best. Really? Um, he's consistent, but he's not that fast. Ooh, ooh, okay. Let me just loosen up here. I He's second a lap slower. Uh, uh, okay, but but the, but the other, on the other hand, you don't necessarily need your amateur driver to be at the cutting edge of lap time every single lap. So with, yeah, how how competitive this class is? Yes, you do. Mm, <laughs> well, I mean, it worked out fine for them last year, seeing as they won the damn thing. Mm. Yeah, look, after teams got disqualified. Ah, yes, but, yeah, whatever. Look, so, okay, Pierre Thierrier, he might not be the fastest of the AM drivers, but he is certainly consistent. He's certainly a good driver in traffic, which is probably more important than being an outright fast driver is, and he keeps it clean. Uh, He has won uh, championships in the ELMS uh, in the past, and let's not forget, this car, as I mentioned, won Le Mans last year. So these guys have a chance to do something a little special uh, going back-to-back within the same season of, uh, of Le Mans competition. On top of that, they have Nicolas Lapierre in the car. Now, the thing about Nicolas Lapierre is he's a great driver in a prototype, except when he's in a P1. When he's in a P1, he ends up crashing it. But at Le Mans, the last four times... Sorry, the last three times he's entered... P2 competition at Le Mans, he's won each occasion. So if that trend continues, that car's going to win. Bold. But I like it. Well, I mean, it was true last year, it was true in 2016, and it was true in 2015. So, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Trust me on this one. Plus, I just really like the Alpine car, and it's pretty. Fight me. <laughs> I'm not biased at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I think their crew is really good, and it, it, they might, you know, take the crown of spending the least amount of time in the pits. But yeah, uh, yeah. At the uh, after it all shakes out, I'm not so sure. Okay, well, we'll have to wait and see. I guess you you have done far more of a deep dive into the data than I ever have, so uh, you would have a better idea in terms of amateur lap times, and that is actually not insignificant as not as insignificant as i'm trying to make it out to be so would you where would you put this car then because i would say personally i would point to this car as being a podium contender i'm gonna say top five but not the podium oh okay uh, you That's know quite what? a narrow window <laughs> yeah i thought you were gonna say that as well um so keep an eye on that blue number 36 um they are actually the lmp2 championship leaders as well if i'm not mistaken um let me just give that a double check a rooney because remember this is the last round of the championship as well so there is championships on the line to be decided here and that might might affect 
how the teams play their strategy in the latter half of the race. If they are in a position where they might not be able to secure the win but can secure the championship, you might see a team take a little bit of a more conservative approach to that last stint. But we hope not. Especially if there's like a a tyre choice decision to make in terms of wet weather or whatever at the end of the race. You know, do you take a a bigger risk and go for a, a win? Or do you take the low risk and have a and consolidate your position to then lock in the championship look i would hope that everyone would take the risk for the win because it's le mans but you know these teams are at the end of the day businesses as well and sometimes you got to lock down yeah. the 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 championship um so i've already taking, got their trophy yeah i've I, already I, got their trophies i guess yeah so they have a four point lead at this stage uh over in fact the next two cars on the entry list which we'll talk about in one big group that worked out well so the next two cars are the jackie chan dc racing cars both running orica 07s both from the wec both on dunlop tires the 38 is four points behind the 36 and the championship and the number 37 is one point behind them um, so the 37 car uh, is being driven by David Hennemeyer Hansen, Jordan King, and Ricky Taylor. Um, so this is the lineup that they ran at Sebring, if I recall correctly. Uh, and then the 38 car is uh, Hoping Tongue, Stefan Rakelmi, and Gabriel Aubrey, uh, which has been the same driver lineup for the season. Now, of those two cars, which one do you reckon is the stronger if you just had to look at them and call it now. 37, because of David Heinemeyer Hansen. Okay, why is David Heinemeyer Hansen the big deal here? Because he stepped into this car after the all-Malaysian crew left, who were really bloody good, and then out of nowhere sets some of the best times for uh, amateurs and hasn't looked back. Is it really out of nowhere, though? I, I feel like if you if you've been following David Hennemeyer Hansen, you would have, would have expected it to not be out of nowhere. This car did take the win at Sebring, the number thirty seven as well. So definitely not uh, no slouches behind the wheel. Yeah, but you would expect you know teething problems or getting used to the car, but no, straight away in the car, boom, wins the race. Oh, I think you're selling David Hennemeyer Hansen a little short here. I'm not sure how deep into the past your LMP two. Knowledge I'm complimenting bank him. I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> like, I, I'm. It is. He's definitely worthy of these compliments. But to me, it's not a surprise because he has been consistently the best amateur driver that the series possibly has ever had. He was the amateur driver at Rebellion who was able to hold off guys like Nicola Lapierre in head-to-head fights at the Nurburgring uh, in LMP2 in color and LMP2 machinery. So I'm. I'm surprised that you're surprised is what I'm trying to convey here. I'm not surprised. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, what about the what about the the supporting cast then? Jordan King, Ricky Taylor, uh, a pair of gold drivers in the 37. Uh, in the 38, it's also a pair of gold drivers, Hoping Tongue and Stefan Rakelmi. Could they have made some more aggressive choices there? Do you think? Um, well, I don't know if there are any better, wildly better drivers out there uh, it's a super strong set of pro drivers for both cars yeah the thing is these these drivers have especially in the 38 they've been the consistent drivers of the season um the 38 car was the pace setter earlier in the season um with a win at spa a win at silverstone a second place at fuji and 
all of those, by the way, with the exception of Spa, were JCDC 1-2s. In Spa, it was a JCDC 1-3. So these three teams, the 36, the 37, the 38, have been the class of the WEC in this season. So I don't want to write any of them off, but I feel like they could have gotten a more competitive professional lineup. Like... Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, in the past, they've had Oliver Jarvis and Alex Brundle at the seat of their cars in JCDC. And and Thomas Laurent as well, who's currently with Rebellion LMP1. So, yeah, I I just wonder I just wonder if they could have gotten a, a few better choices. But, like, I'm not saying... I'm, I'm anything, not sure if they could. Yeah, maybe not in this current climate, but, yeah, it's it's a bit... It's a bit weird. I, I mean, not saying anything against Hoping Tongue, Stefan Rukelmi, Jordan King, or Ricky Taylor. It's just... You know, it doesn't really have the shocking firepower of, you know, Nicola Lapierre, Paul Doresta, Felipe Albuquerque, Guido Vandergaard, that sort of thing. I don't think, I don't think it's, um, well, they, they can, it's a difficult market in terms of, you know, so many good drivers out there that are in opposition um, teams, but also it might be a question of money. Yeah. Um, there was the fallout of, the Malaysian crew leaving uh, with the money uh, behind them stopping. And so it was a stopgap kind of plugging the gap with David Heinmeier Hansen coming in. But also, if you look at it, the the Jackie Chan behind it is scaling back Yeah, with sponsorship mainly on the 38 with the kind of Jackie Chan branding. And then new significant sponsorship from Konica Minolta coming in on the 37. Uh, to kind of take over. So maybe there are some questions about that. And Jackie Chan, we know now, are scaling down to one car next season as well. Yep. So there might be a a funding kind of issue there um, to be able to go out there and get superstar drivers from elsewhere, mm. you know, buying them out of contract or whatever. I don't think they have anywhere near the position to do that at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good call you make, and we have already seen that next year's entry list is those two cars are split between Yoda Sports and Jackie Chan DC Racing uh, on the entry list, not both Jackie Chan DC run by Yoda Sports, which is what they are at the moment. So it'll be an interesting time for them in the off season, and it'll be interesting to see how they go. But Yoda Sports are a class outfit, so them running the cars should have absolutely no issues, and I would. Put these in the top five, maybe throughout the race. Top five, middle of the top ten, perhaps. Yeah, front half of the top ten for the thirty-seven, and lower half for the thirty-eight. That's quite a bold call. I think that's I think that's fair enough to be honest. Uh, Especially considering their championship position, their consistency. I think giving them anything less would be shortchanging them, to be honest. So we'll move on. Uh, next car on the list is another one of the European Le Mans series runners. This is the Graf uh, SO24 car. It's an Orica on Michelin tyres, and this will be uh, driven by amateur driver Vincent Capillier. And the two pros are Tristan Gomedy and Jonathan Hershey. Now, was this the car in 2017 that gave that fabled thumbs up to our... Kamui Kobayashi, our Toyota friend, which caused that clutch failure. Was that this car or was that Paul Loup Chatin? I think it was uh, Capillier. I, I think it was uh, Capillier. Um, 
and it might ring a bell because Graf used to be orange. Yes. Um, and, you know, that leads to the kind of orange looking like a marshal. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if Cookie was still here, uh, he'd know and we could tease him about it. But unfortunately, as I mentioned before, his computer has decided that it doesn't want to be alive today. So, Well, he's probably got Capillaire's face on a dartboard somewhere. So, <laughs> yeah. Graf have been a stalwart the European Le Mans Series competition. They've been generally successful. I mean, they haven't set the world on fire uh, so much, but they've not really been in too many problems either. And their driver lineup definitely isn't shabby. Uh, Vincent Capillier is a great amateur driver, and uh, Gomendy and Hershey as um, the pros in that car, just definitely a solid lineup. Yeah, I, I just think I'm not I'm not getting my socks blown off. Let's you're say not, you're not sold. Um, I can't no, sell it to you. I'm, I'm not sold. No, I'm not sold on this car. Um, uh, yeah, at the end of each race, and. Uh, I've watched for ELMS, they kind of fall back a bit during, and I think that'll be the same. Um, would, for it, them here. would it would it help me sell you to sell you this if I told you that last year this car with the same driver lineup and the same team finished second? Would that help me sell it? So they finished third. Um, so they finished then, third and then got elevated I mean, after the G Drive car was found to have non homologated yeah, there. I'm still not sold from what I've seen this season. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's a, been a, a change behind the scenes with the different money because of the G-Drive sponsorship changing from orange to red and blue. And if there's an issue or, or a change behind the scenes or if I, I might be completely wrong. But yeah, from what I've seen this season specifically, it's kind of like the TDS where... You put Tristan Gomedy in the car. He's a platinum, does some really fast lap times, and then sort of drops off. And that's not saying that the the amateurs are bad. It's just the standard is is so, so high. high. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I I think you're shortchanging them. I reckon they'll be middle of the top ten. Personally, that's just mm. me though. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. Come 3 p.m. Sunday, we'll see. Uh, We'll move on then to the number 43 car. This is the RLR M Sport slash Tower Events car, uh, driving an Orica 07 on Dunlops. Now, this is a car which is the P3 champions from last year's ELMS. So they're actually in a, yeah, in a rented car, rented Orica in an LMP2 for their first time, and at Le Mans for their first time, which is pretty exciting. Uh, at the wheel of this car, we have John Ferrano from Canada, who's a bronze rated driver. Um, Arjun Maini, I probably got that wrong, because that's an Indian name. And the gold driver is Norman Nato, uh, which is quite a pickup for that team, in fact. Um, doing some very impressive stuff in the ELMS last year with uh, race engineering, uh, did Norman Nato. So, are we saying this is similar to um, Inter Europol in that they're a P3 team just sort of stepping up and dipping their toes in the water? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really good example with Inter Europol on um, graduating up the, the and using Le Mans to kind of be that little activation energy to get them up uh, over the hump to spend into the next class because mm. they need needed to buy uh, a P2 chassis and the kind of lure of getting to Le Mans with their new car kind of 
bump them up into the, the P2 class at ELMS. But I think they've got a downgrade to Norman Nato. I think that's fair to fair to say because they normally have Senna in the car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for ELMS. And also they used to have Job Venato in the car when they were in LMP3. So, yeah, I think they haven't really impressed <laughs> that much in LMP2, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Uh, that's fair enough and I mean there is only so much you can do as a small team in a you know big event where everyone else is already snapping up or has pre-contracts with all these big drivers that you've normally taken on when they're looking for an extra drive so yeah I, I think much like into Europol if they get to the finish with a decent result and they're you know reliable and they're happy with where they end up then that'll be successful enough for them we'll move on to the last row of entries in the lmp2 class at le mans number 47 the second of the delaras on the entry list uh this is the settler racing delara on the michelins this is the blue and green highlighted delara this year uh it's the italian car of roberto lacorte giorgio sergiotto and andrea Bellici. Now, this car is confirmed as an entry for the WEC next season, so they're making the step up to full-season WEC entry. They are one of the stalwart Dallara teams in LMP2, which makes sense because Dallara is an Italian chassis manufacturer, and, you know, as much as we rag on Frenchies being Frenchies, Italians are Italians just as bad. And this team had a pretty torrid Le Mans last year after they had a spin into the first Mulsanne chicane, which actually lifted the car into the barriers and almost out of the circuit last year. Yeah, pretty it was terrifying. a pretty yeah, crazy flip. Um, that's the trouble with these prototypes when they go sideways. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's a, a their film cameraman making a kind of after movie of the event happened to be at the corner filming that direction when the car happened to flip. So there's really good footage of the crazy thing. I think it was in qualifying. Yeah, because um, that car did end up making the grid. Just. Uh, mm. I mean, the mechanics were ridiculously tired before the event that makes them ridiculously tired. Yeah, so imagine imagine having to stay up all night, two nights in a row, to rebuild the car using the entire rest day to... to fix it and then having to stay up for a 24-hour event immediately following on from that that would have been hell i'm the entire just thinking about it and also the the um original driver lineup that they had ages ago is now back together i believe because andrea beliki had uh, an issue with his back and that then prompted the switch to felipe nasa yes and now andrea's back in the car so uh, it's a bit of a downgrade in terms of driver p- performance. I mean, you're going from a platinum to a, a gold. Yeah. But back to all Italian feel. And it's, an, it's another feel good story. You know, Italian car, Italian drivers, Italian team. They're going to be moving up to WC next season run by AF Corsa, I believe. So, yeah. It's an all Italian um, affair. Just exactly. like just like dinner at my nonna's. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I just imagine, just imagine the catering for a group, of, a big group of Italians like that. Just stresses me out. Uh, <laughs> uh, enough about my family. Where do we see them in the overall picture for LMP2? Uh, keep in mind they are in a Delara. They are, you know, bronze, silver, gold. 
I'm not holding out the biggest of hopes for them. I, I think uh, if they achieve a top 10, they'd be very happy with that. I think it's, it's identical, really, to Racing Team Nederland. You've got a bronze as your amateur. Mm. You've got a Delara, which is not the not the fastest in certain conditions. And yeah, um, there are a few question marks. Um, so it's a it's a feel good. Um, I hope they finish. I hope they finish top ten. But I don't see them pushing for a win. Yeah, uh, that car finished eleventh in class last year at Le Mans, um, just missing out in the top ten. But they were behind the lead part of the GTE field. So that kind of gives you a bit of a frame on where their pace should roundabout be. Next up is the number 48 IDEX Sport Orica. Uh, this is a car from the European Le Mans series. Uh, this is featuring Paul Lafargue, Paul-Loup Chatin, and Memo Rojas as its driver lineup. Now, IDEX Sport is a bit of an enigma to me because if you look at their driver lineup, it's not. it doesn't blow you away. It's not that sort of superpower but they just seem to get results. They seem to be at the pointy end more often than not. And, you know, circumstances allowing, they seem to be able to, to get some decent results. And it's a little surprising, really. I would, I, you know, I didn't really write this car off last year, but towards the latter stage of the race, it was looking like it was going to be a, a potential podium taker until, uh, until they, uh, had some sort of ailment, which escapes me, but they didn't finish, unfortunately. But yeah, I'd export. I think, I think people are going to sleep on this entry and they're going to grind out a really strong finish. Yeah, I think lots of people think IDEC, you know, they 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 think of when they think of IDEC, they think oh, you know, some silly crashes and things like that, but they, a lot of the bad results are the sister car in mm. LMS that kind of muddies the water of of maybe people's memories of this team yeah i'm uh, i think it's one to look out for because a lot of people won't be looking out for it kind yeah of if you're if you're a participant in the fantasy wec competition that we have on uh r slash wec and you definitely should be uh because it's a lot of fun um this one would actually be quite a good pick because it'll probably fly under the radar quite a fair bit paul lafargue as an amateur driver is actually an exceptional amateur because he keeps it remarkably clean and doesn't get involved in too much trouble. And uh, Paul Lipschatin and Memo Rojas are very accomplished multi-class drivers, so they certainly know how to drive in traffic. And yeah, I've just gone back at my old uh, lap uh, lap charts from last year because I, you know, using Andy Blackmore's Spotters Guide, they have a, a option for you to put in your own lap, well, not lap charts, rather, like time charts. Um, at every six-hour interval, and they were actually in fourth place, and that would be behind one of the G-Drive cars that got disqualified at the end. So uh, effectively third place with six hours left, and then had their problem which put them out of the race. So definitely one that could fly under the radar and snag a pretty good result. I think they could be doing pretty well in, in qualifying as well. I think people should take a moment every now and then to double-check and have a look for this car because it will be higher than you would think. Absolutely. Uh, I think that will sum up our thoughts on that car. It'll be higher than you think come the end of the day. So we are down to our last two cars in the LMP2 category. Both of them are Ligiers. The first one comes from the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, it is the ARC Bratislava car, uh, which has done 
a bit of racing in European Le Mans Series competition in the past as well. They are running the Ligier with the Dunlop tyres. Now, this is a Slovakian car, I think, and it is being run by a Slovakian driver, driver Miroslav Konopka, uh, Swede Henig Engvisk, and Russian driver Konstantin Tereshenko. Hopefully I didn't butcher all of those names, but I feel like I did a fairly good job. Now, this car looks pretty cool. It's got a yellow front half, and then the back half is a uh, kaleidoscope of colored straight lines streaming from the back. So it looks... It's kind of like the front half's yellow and the back half's the BMW uh, GT2 R In car. In hyperspace mode. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a pretty cool-looking car. Uh, but with that driver lineup... Uh, a, a triple amateur driver lineup. I'm not expecting super cool things from ARC Bratislava. Would you agree? Was it uh, Konstantin Tereshenko that got a really bad telling off in ELMS by um, Eduardo Freitas for driving standards? It could um, have been. <laughs> it very well could have been. I think, yeah, made some very silly moves in a high class. Yeah, uh, I'm not two up on this car fighting anywhere near the podium at the end of the race uh, I think a lot of the camera time will be on it looking at how Miroslav Konopka gets in and out of the car because he's so large um, <laughs> but yeah it's a feel good um, yep. it's a feel good team yeah um, so these guys the ready. these guys entered <laughs> get the super winch ready these guys uh, won their Le Mans invite for winning the uh, Asian Le Mans Series LMP2 AM category. So that's the category for the older spec LMP2 cars, which are still allowed in Asian Le Mans Series competition. They, a few years ago, were running in ELMS and didn't get an invite to Le Mans and then basically came out and said, uh, if we can't guarantee an invite to Le Mans, we will stop racing in ELMS competition. Um, so they found their home in uh, Asian Le Mans Series, uh, which I feel suits them a bit better. And... Yeah, they've won an entry that way, uh, and so, yeah, and now here they are in LMP2 competition. I think, yeah, them getting to the finish will be a, a good result for the Bratislava team. Yeah, and I think if Miroslav Konopka crosses the line at the end of the race, he might have a little two fingers up at the ACO <laughs> logo and headquarters as he passes the line, but yeah, we'll see. How beautifully romantic okay last car on the entry list uh, yeah steve mcqueen style (laughs) yeah brilliant just get just gets the the baseball glove out of the back of the car and just starts throwing up against the wall sorry big tangent there it's very late where i am it's one in the morning lmp2 last car number 50 wc car labra competition it's a ligier it's on michelin's it's got three uh amateur drivers erwin creed romano ritchie and uh nicholas boulet Fun fact about Erwin Creed, he actually owns a perfume company, which is where the money for this car rolls in. This is by far the slowest car in WEC competition uh, in the LMP2 category. It is not last in the standings by virtue of not having DNF'd at all, whereas the TDS racing car is the only car in WEC competition to actually have DNF'd, and they've done that on three occasions, so... Good job, TDS Racing. I'm not expecting too much from this car, to be honest. I agree. Yeah. It's kind of a um, kind of a dull note to end on, though. Yeah. Historically, 
Labra and LMP2, uh, sorry, uh, a GTM team, and they're probably going to end up going at the same speed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's basically think, all we got to say. I think they're ones to look out for to see how slow they're going, um, rather than to see how sneaky they are climbing up the field. But, um, yeah, watch out. Uh, other cars on track. Fair enough. Um, their best result for this season in LMP2 is a fifth place, which they took at Fuji. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm. We haven't seen any sort of semblance of pace from that car, so I wouldn't expect that they'd turn it around for Le Mans. I will just have a quick look see to see where they finished last year because they did finish last year, um, and it was outside the top ten. It was behind the Settler car. That would make sense. <laughs> yep. It was 32nd position overall, and the last of the running LMP2 cars was where they finished up. So, is it too mean to say that I expect the same from them again? No, um, but <laughs> what kind of celebration would we have if they get a top 10? Oh, it would be nuts. I think we'd all have to buy French perfume and champagne. That's good. Yeah, just have a, just have a bath in French perfume. Um, okay, we might we might sound like we're being a bit mean, but in empirical senses here, this car has the highest amateur concentration out of any of the other cars. This is the only car in the field with two bronze drivers, and then on top of that, the third driver is only a silver. So it it is by driver ratings the worst rated car in the field. And the, the, the bronze drivers are not at the top of the bronze category. I mean, no. looking at other bronzes in the field, two seconds a lap slower, that kind of thing. I remember at Spa, they were holding up some of the GT Pro cars yes. um, mid-corner and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah so good. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're expecting for the number 50 car. And that brings us to the end of the LMP2 uh, list, a whole... I think we got through that in about an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. Maybe an hour and 20 minutes. That's all right. Um, we'll nice. fix it up in post. Yes. Okay. So, Trevorosaurus, Ollie, whatever we want to call you these days, give me your top three in any particular order. Uh, I wrote a top five. Damn it. Okay. That's um, fine. Give me your top three with two supplementary numbers. Okay. Um... My top car, I'm going to go out on a limb. I've got a really good feeling about the 30 yep. Duquesne okay. car. And as soon as they were confirmed at going to Le Mans, I really wanted <laughs> them to win it overall, to win it from the um, reserve list. So for that story, and also coming from the embarrassment of certain errors that lost them race wins at, in ELMS, I think coming in, winning would be a really nice nice story so that's my number one number two i'm gonna go with 31 dragon speed yep i think people were calling me crazy last year for picking up this car because of you know the whole meme about pastor maldonado and he's a, a race winner in formula one what the hell i know yeah um, it, there's you know it's it's a bit ridiculous mm. um I think this season has been a revelation and he's proved doubters wrong. 
and I think he he can keep doing that and get a podium um, with his team. Uh, and I think it's a good it's a good story for Dragon Speed as well, who have been finding things a bit tough in overall in the World Endurance Championship. Yep. Um, and then third, I think thirty-seven, Jackie Chan. Thirty-seven. Cool. I I have thoughts, but I'll let you tell. I'll, I'll I'll give you your sops first, and then I'll I'll have my thoughts. Uh, I think. 26 and then 32. 32? Hmm. Sorry. Uh, uh, 22. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. <laughs> cool. Okay. So you've gone there. United Auto Sports 22 and G-Drive 26. Cool. So your top five is looking like number 30, 31, 37, 22, 26. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's actually a pretty good top five. I... The only bone I have to pick is I don't think I rate the 31 as highly as you do. I would probably swap the 26 and the 31 in that equation. And then I'd throw in the number 36 into that mix as well. Um, Knew it. Yeah, of course. I mean, as I said, I'm not biased at all. So my top five would probably be the 36, 30, 37... 26 and then one of the 22 31 48 and 23 i think those four cars would be my next little echelon of of picks in that uh in the lmp2 class i might i might be selling the 31 a little short but i yeah i think you could pick any one of those eight cars and find them on the podium come the end of the race. And that is just a tribute to the quality that we have in LMP2 competition worldwide, uh, not just in the WEC or in the ELMS, um, but also in the Asian Le Mans series as well. Uh, and, you know, what we used to have in IMSA with the likes of Core Autosport and PR1 Matheson and JDC uh, Miller, etc., etc. But the fact is, we can pull these teams from around the world and have them be competitive in the same uh, hardware and the same machinery and get a 20-car field, which is, you know, that's the size of an F1 grid, and we're talking about it being a 24-hour endurance race, and it's got more possible winners than an F1 grid at this stage. So it's it's an enthralling competition, and I'm ex- really excited for the LMP2 class at Le Mans. Yeah, definitely. I think lots of people disregard this um class some people call it boring whatever i don't care it's 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 really good it's competitive you get variety in loads of different uh, areas yeah yeah it's variety is the spice of life and you've got variety in backgrounds variety in chassis variety in colors i mean the color the color schemes on these cars are beautiful a variety in strategy and the way that it's built, it, it creates some fantastic competition. So that brings us to the end of our prototype class previews uh, for Le Mans, uh, for the 2019-24 hours of Le Mans. Um, we will, of course, very shortly have a GTE class preview covering off GTE Pro and GTE M. On top of that, uh, we will this year again be doing our pre pre race show uh, streamed live on YouTube, and you can join us in the Discord channel as well to be a part of that. And all in all, I am very excited that we are now 
Um, as I finished recording this podcast at one in the morning on Monday, uh, my time, we are in Le Mans week. It is now Le Mans week. How exciting is that? Oh, I'm getting goosebumps already. I still haven't packed. Oh, get on it. Get on it. You're meant to be leaving like 18 hours from now. No, 36 hours from now. I'll I'll be going on first thing uh, Wednesday. And so we're going to go classic standard way via Ruin, Lezar, old Formula One circuit. Have a a stop there and do a a little lap um, on the public roads. (laughs) In your bimmer. Yep, yep. And and then drive down the rest and get there before, hopefully, um, before the start of... Uh, track action for practice qualifying so if um any listeners are there come say hi and uh you're looking for the bmw with the world endurance championship no sorry the r slash wec sticker on it just not not just one not Um, just oh okay not just one that's (laughs) that's a little terrifying i'm excited to see it i am insanely jealous uh ollie thank you very much for joining me uh for this prototype preview thanks for having me no problems um thank you very much as well to cookie monster unfortunately his um computer issues were not able to be rectified which is really really sad and i would have i think he would have loved to have finally been talking up a another toyota win but that's fine um and thank you everyone to uh thank you to everyone who helped us reach ten thousand downloads cumulatively for our uh podcast on podbean i really really appreciate all the love and support uh, that you guys give us and give this project. It actually means quite a lot to me. We'll see you again very soon for GTE Class Preview. I've been Floodman11. Peace out. Peace out.